For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to rumble! Hello and welcome to episode 163 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. Today, I am delighted to welcome onto the show not only two amazing guys, but actually uh, the creators of a fantastic new MMA action fighting film called Cage Fighter Worlds Collide. It will be Desi Quinones and Shane puts locker they will be joining us ever so soon oh how are we all doing are we okay we're surviving things are changing right we may be allowed out soon who knows it's a little bit up in the air but there's movement in the film world things are changing and they're changing for you so be alert be awake be on top of it because we need to be ready and hey if this is not for you if during this lockdown you've found that you've love to do something else like fix bikes or um, fix phones or make mugs in your spare time and you love it do that do what makes you happy if this doesn't make you happy don't do it anymore but if it does if there's that burning passion inside you that makes you want to be the filmmaker that you've desired to be then keep doing it but be on top of it and be prepared because it could happen any second for you. Someone could like your script, you could send it to the right person, you could pitch it to the right person in that elevator because it might be on the way down when you're on the way up. Um, So yeah, this is great. It's exciting. It's episode 163 and we have two amazing guests. So I'm super excited for you to listen to this because it's a joy. There's so many tips and tricks. Um, I'm Giles Alderson. I'm a writer, director, and I'm a producer. And The Dare is out now in America and Canada. Love you to see it. Love reviews if you can. And The Serial Killer's Guide to Life had its big premiere on Sky Premiere um, yesterday. Yesterday? It is still on there go check it out but if not go to uh, serialkillersguidetolife.com and you can check out where you can watch that movie please do we're all very very proud of it so on this week's episode we talk about on what you can learn about and get your pens and paper ready because there's so much on this week's episode because not only has Jesse Quinones uh, directed Cage Fighter Worlds Collide but he's also directed a load of shorts and docs and promos before he made his first feature film calloused hands um and he also co-produced no shade as well um but we also have shane putzlocker now shane is a big big producer he's made so many really really cool films starting off as a second ad and a third ad and working his way up to production manager and producing some amazing films and fun films including vampire dogs space milkshake step dogs bark ranger archie um adventure club dead shack treasure hounds welcome to nowhere archie 2 mission impossible uh, and cold brook and of course cage fighter worlds collide and he is uh, working with finn glynn on Dorman as well we obviously mentioned that a few episodes back on this episode we talk about how Jesse and Shane met in Cannes so how important it is to network because that is how Jesse got his movie 
made. Uh, we talk about how Shane learned to finance movies and how he runs Trilight now. And we talk about scheduling movies, the importance of prepping a movie, working to the budget, and pre-vising your movie. We also talk about action and how you can shoot it and the camera technology and techniques you can use to become a better filmmaker. And we also have loads of tips and tricks for action filmmakers and how you should arrive as prepared as possible. Um, a shout out to Rain Dance this week. I was a guest on their Instagram live feed. They're doing these constantly with Elliot at 1pm and I think 6 or 4pm every day. So go on their Instagram feed and find out. They're having some amazing guests. It's free. Why would you not? And I have to tell you about the Make Your Film event. We are back after the success of the last one. We are back on the 4th of June. Myself and Dom Loire and we cannot wait because our first guest is Dan Mazer. Dan Mazer is a creative genius behind Borat and Bruno. Uh, not only that, but he wrote Bridget Jones's Baby and currently he is the director of the Home Alone reboot. The COVID situation has paused it right now, but we can pick his brains about all that. It's going to be amazing, amazing. It's June the 4th, the next Make Your Film event. The link to that is in the show notes. We cannot wait. See you there. Two more amazing guests to be announced very, very soon. Um, shout outs this week, finally, before we get to this week's episode two. Will Kenning, uh, Mark Brennan at X66, thank you for your amazing article on me. <laughs> uh, Diane Knight, uh, shout out to you. And shout out to Lucinda and Jeet Thakra, who not only made my King Arthur movie, Arthur and Merlin, Knights of Camelot, but they have made five films in two years. If that's not inspiring for you, I don't know what is. I take a leaf out of their book, everyone. Oh, and Carlos emailed me. He runs the Deptford Cinema, and he's looking to stream films. So if you have a film you'd like to stream on the Deptford Cinema channel, get in touch with him. I'll put a link in the show notes if I remember. If not, just type in Deptford Cinema. You'll easily get in contact with them. Other shout-outs to Mark Hammett, Dan Carza, uh, of course, um, Carter Ferguson at Film Pro productivity and success podcast it's a brilliant one go listen to that um liz lackman got in touch about her short film pinup go check it out go watch it it's really cool as which has also won over 30 awards so good luck to you with all the feature film and development that you're doing for that um and also uh to the max smiths uh they're not sponsoring this week's episode but i do love them and I do mean it if you have a problem with your Mac, any issues whatsoever, get in touch with them. Like I said, they sponsored last week's episode. They're not sponsoring this one. I'm doing this because I truly rate them. And I believe if you have an issue with your Mac, to get in touch with them. So why not? Um, next week's pod, by the way, is with the director and writer of Sea Fever, Niasa Hardiman. She's amazing. So many amazing tips for you. Oh, it gets better. But anyway, uh, let's get to this week's episode. Let's get to this week's episode. Um, talk about how to make an action film MMA one at that and how to make movies in general produce them and raise money it is of course Jesse Quinones and Shane Putzlocker enjoy there we go there we go hello hey perfect so how are you guys you alright you coping in this uh, heat at the moment in the UK but I don't know yeah. where you are, Shane. Are you in? Are you in LA? I'm, I'm no. I'm actually in Calgary, Canada. Calgary, nice. Yeah. This is where I live. We never work here, but I, that's where we live. 
<laughs> constantly <laughs> moving around. I mean, did you not shoot Cage Fighter in? In, we did uh, it. No, no, we did it about like an eight-hour drive away from here in Regina, Saskatchewan. Nice. It's right. It's right. Grew up. Yeah. Wow. So you knew the area really well then. Yeah. It's well. <laughs> this wow. whole story. Story of getting to Regina. We we were going to be in London, then in Bucharest, and and ended up in Regina, Saskatchewan. Wow. I love it. I love. It. Well, we'll get to that mm-hmm. because Cage Fight is out literally next week. It's yeah. super, super exciting. So yeah. how are you guys preparing for that? How are you coping without being able to, you know, physically go somewhere? Tell us about it. Jesse, start with you. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely missing my training. I, I, I usually do like, you know, regular jujitsu and, and that's like a kind of a, a big routine for me. So missing that, obviously now taking up jogging, which uh, it's kind of boring. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 to be honest, it doesn't quite feel like lockdown. Be- I think because we've had a project that we've been working on, you know, we're still even now, you know, finishing the sound mix and, and everything else. It, it, aside from the fact that we can't, you know, get out into the world physically, um, we've just been, you know, especially, you know, Shane and myself, like just been head down finishing this movie, you know? Yeah. I, was, I mean, hang on. You So you're still working on sound, but yet it's coming out in literally a week and a bit's time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I love it. Wait, this is brilliant drama. <laughs> freaking yourselves out you've just freaked me out brilliant um tell how come how come it's so last minute tell us about that because that's frightening right well Well, i'll let let shane answer that oh thanks (laughs) i I think just back backing up quickly like the the whole self-quarantining thing like i haven't even been able to enjoy you know not being able to do anything yet because um you know this this movie is coming out technically you know like five months early um not to say okay. that it was going to be five months rushed to get done but but we're sitting here and i think the hardest part was not being able to go into sit into a suite for for your final color and sound mix mm-hmm. and doing and doing it remotely is always you know this is our first time doing this um so we, i haven't even, like personally i haven't had time to enjoy anything i, I know my family's like like where are you all the time i'm like shut up i'm working because you know i'm trying to finish this movie but um so it's been it's been constant you know like we get new cuts whether it's picture or sound and you know jesse and i'll get on a, on a call and we'll go through notes and we send them back and and then you know you wait a day and you're dealing with something else um whether it be the other the additional footage we're putting out for, for fight or the trailers or and then we get another then we get the file back and we're still working so we're very close everyone's you know the cast has been promoting this film and and they haven't even had a chance to see it and we've been um, we just promised that we picked we picked a date uh, with Fight TV of, of May 16th because that's was the earliest I thought that we would be able to push everybody to be ready. Yep. And um, by hell or high water, we're going to be ready. Could be wrong, but we're we're almost there now. We're we have to deliver um, in five days or six days now. So yeah, I love kinda- it. There's kind of mm. something exciting as well about having the pressure cooker under yeah. with mm. with a, a tight deadline. You know. God, yeah, the, the, yeah, there is. We delivered uh, my King Arthur movie over this period as well with a dad. So I was the same as you guys. You're looking at footage. You're looking at um, sort of sound mixes, grade, all that uh, remotely. But we're not releasing until July. So there was a little bit of, well, you know, that, that's, well, but it's the same thing. You can't make any changes. Once you deliver, you deliver. Yep. But, yeah. but it, it's that weird pressure, isn't it, that you put on yourself that doesn't really need to be there, but it is. It's not going to be. It's no surprise that Jesse or I'd be up two in the morning with a new file coming in. <laughs> so okay, I'm getting back yeah. to work. You know, <laughs> but well, I suppose what's interesting is you're keeping yourselves busy during this quarantine period where mm-hmm. you've got to deliver a film. 
I'm looking forward to it. They're starting in Canada talking about, you know, opening things up again. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, I haven't had my chance to, to quarantine and, and do nothing yet. <laughs> no, no, exactly. So, yeah, it's going to be really nice. You just, you won't know what to do with yourself. Everyone will be now working out how to do it. You'll be like, uh, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, nothing. It's super exciting. I can't wait to get in to talk about Cage Fight. I, I'm really looking forward to it. And we'll be mentioning this throughout, but it's uh, May 16th. So that's. So it's a, it's a Saturday. The 16th. next saturday yeah. <laughs> there we go so it's that next saturday brilliant all right well look it sounds like at least you, you're keeping yourselves busy so let's jump back a little bit let's talk about how you even got to cage fight how it even came into the world of you guys making this um so jesse let's start with you jumping back quite a bit because uh, shane you've got so many credits i'm looking forward to jumping into that and your journey as a producer and getting involved in cage fire but first of all jesse talk to me about your journey because you started yeah. making ads and promos and documentaries before you moved into your first feature how did it start for you so i went i i graduated in 2006 from london metropolitan university nice kind of uh was making short films uh while, while as a student and then right out the gates you know i kind of set up my my own still operational to this day and just congratulations it's not yeah well yeah i know it's something you know um a little bit of a tribute to my, my grandfather uh solomon wolfson so it's a little bit of a family thing there but um yeah no, it's um nice. I, I you know making short films and documentaries uh, and you know um i think really trying to cut my teeth on documentaries especially because um they're easier to get made you know they don't cost as much money they don't need as many crew and so that was a great way to just sort of earn my stripes and then um I made my first feature film in 2013, uh, Callous Tans, which was autobiographical. And, and you know, was that kind of pouring your heart into that first feature, which a lot of us do, you know, very personal. Um, and that mm -hmm. definitely was my like true film school. That was a, a, a micro budget film for $250,000 shot in 18 days in Miami. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we had, uh, no money, no time, you know, and I had to make the most of it. And it was nice to learn how to, how to tell the story over 90 minutes. And we had an amazing actor in that Andre Royal, who a lot of people might know from, uh, the wire, uh, he played bubbles in the wire. And mm -hmm. then while I was editing Callous Tans back in 2014, I was starting the treatment for cage fighter. Um, cause I, I, I love martial arts. I trained myself and I'd seen this film called rust and bone. Which something yes, like these French, film, yeah, yeah, I love that film. And I remember I saw it in the cinema, and I was like, Fuck, you know, the UK needs a film like this, you know. And and um, took me years to get the script right, and you know, kind of uh, put it together. And, and then I met Shane and his other producing partner, Sarah uh, Shack, in two thousand, like about a year and a half ago, and in Cannes, uh, presented the project to them. Uh, and this is after years of trying to pulled together and all kinds yeah, of yeah hustling and getting yeah. yeah and all that totally but, you know trying this way and that way and you know this you know nothing was sort of sticking and and you know met them and honestly the they they kind of saw something in it saw something in me and, and within a year we were on set so I've, i've got tremendous respect for shane as a producer i mean this guy puts his money where his mouth is and i never met anybody as tenacious that kind of just makes things happen so I love that. Shane, can you remember the moment when you met Jesse in Cannes or was it he was just one of a thousand? <laughs> no, no. I, um, I remember a little bit differently, but no, just uh, I think it was um, 
I'd heard about before Berlin, not this last year, the year before it was sent to me. And just like, I'm a huge wrestling fan. There's no doubt about it. I'm a dork when it comes to wrestling. I love it. I, you know, I, I, I let that happen. I don't care what anyone says. Um, mm. And I was just like, I just, I, no matter what, I just like, I was like, I want to be a part of this movie. And like, I'll go make sandwiches, you know, you know, I, I whatever it takes, I want to be a part of this movie. And, you know, when we start talking about it, it was Jesse and I, Technically, didn't meet in person till Cam, but just I do. I do remember us speaking before that yes. when we were going to jump on the project, and yeah, and we looked at you know at one time just putting a little bit of money into it, just because I thought like, mm-hmm. I'm like a lot of people, like, especially in the film world, don't get the wrestling audience. You know, I can't speak for the MMA audience, but like there's a, there's an audience for wrestling, and um, we just wanted to be a part of it, and and so when it came time to um talk about getting a wrestlers involved i t- i jumped up I, I stepped in i'm like i don't know one single wrestler i'm a huge fan but i don't know one <laughs> single wrestler but by god yeah. I'm, I'll, I'll i'll take this on i'd be happy to to jump into this and you know if you want to talk about it now or later but you know meeting jay and then him getting moxley and then and then we had that before can already set up uh and then that's when we met on that boat last year jesse yes and uh, <laughs> yeah and we, we made that announcement in, in the trades and and then it kind of just started spinballing from there that's so cool i love you matt on a boat yeah. i love that <laughs> it was I, very I know can. i met yeah, it was very can. it's so can i did that this last year yeah. i should say now in Cannes, and it was just so nice i met so many cool people on boats but it sounds so wanky doesn't it oh yeah we just met on a boat in Cannes, but actually <laughs> it happens so much in yeah. Cannes because there are boats everywhere yeah. so you are going to meet people on boats that's i like that story it's really cool let's we'll come back to that as well Let, jesse let's jump back to calloused hands then because making your debut feature it's no mean feat it's very difficult yeah. the fact that you managed to do that you got a big star in it you also got daisy haggard in there um most people will know from episodes she's brilliant i really like her back to life as well now she's yeah yeah she's really cool she's attached to one of my projects as well she's great um so callous hands yeah is your debut movie did did you write this as well i wrote it because it's autobiographical yeah yeah, i I wrote wrote the scripts i directed it and i was also one of the producers on it as well so how did you get it made how did you actually raise the money because 250 grand even though it's low in terms of big movies in terms of people trying to make a micro budget or indie film on their own it's a Mm. decent amount of money so how did you manage to raise that how how was your process of actually producing a movie so for that one um it was a mixture of uh you know kind of begging and borrowing and stealing from family and friends and then also a lot of deferrals you know um Mm. I don't think people, you know, they, they, it, it didn't make its money back in that kind of way, but it was really a situation of uh, people working for, you know, just believing in the in the project and, and um, kind of uh, taking a hit in that way. So that's sort of um, how we actually um, pulled it together. And in terms of uh, putting it together, it was it was it was tricky because I am from Miami, but I've been living here. So I had to, like, start crewing up my, you know, the team uh, from like remotely. So pretty much on Skype, you know, and, Mm -hmm. um, I found that I had to sort of, to to get the right gel, you know, vibe. I I had to bring a first AD from New York and I had to bring the second AD from New York as well. And then my, my editor was from London and my DP was from London. And then, uh, a lot of the HODs, uh, coming from different places and then sort of the core crew and cast in Miami. So it, it was a real logistical, um, challenge to sort of just 
pull all those pieces together from various places. But it, it was incredible. I mean, it was very fast and, and furious. And, and um, you know, uh, working with an actor like Andre told, taught me a, a tremendous amount. I mean, mm. he's so experienced and, you know, his kind of way of operating and, you know, he's got that kind of method acting style. And I learned a lot from him. And then you work with somebody like Daisy Haggard, who, you know, I, I actually cast her because I'd seen her in a play at the Almeida Theater called Becky Shaw. And wow. she had done this flawless American accent. And she had that really interesting way of striking a chord between being dramatic, but also being really funny. Mm -hmm. And um, she was incredible. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was great. You know, I got to shoot in a lot of the places I grew up in, like the synagogue where I had a bar mitzvah wow. shot there. And I shot in the baseball fields. I used to play in as a kid. And see, it, I like that because you can visualize it as a director. Mm -hmm. You can before you even get on set. And this is where a lot of problems do happen on movie sets where they location isn't thought about enough yeah whereas if you know the locations you've spent time in it you see mm. it, you you go well in your head you can already already picture where the shot's going to be like your old school or whatever it is yeah your old bar mitzvah hall you know exactly where almost the best where the camera can go because yeah. you've been there i think that's huge for filmmakers filmmakers just spend more time in their locations i know it's difficult sometimes but even Absolutely. i'd get there an hour beforehand and just sit in that space and go okay the camera could be here or the night before uh, the, i would come from here the actors come from here. it really does make a huge difference so for, for sure. you that must have been massive massive benefit on your that's, first feature absolutely it's a really good point as well because like sometimes you get like say you write the script and you start getting bogged down in like mm. shot listing it or, or whatever oh god yeah, it's so easy location yeah. and it's like well that that you know that door is on the wrong side that you imagine and then your shot list become kind of useless you know mm -hmm. and it's sort of absolutely like being in the space you know yeah and then you can properly plan it yeah which is great. because you'd not made a feature before but like i say you'd made docs and you'd made promos what was the difference for you stepping up to making a feature with actors of that caliber and big yeah. crew and making it over what did you say three weeks you shot for three 18 15, days 18 days yeah, yeah it's, it is it's an interesting one it was um definitely uh the one of the biggest learning curves was just you know you, you big actors um you know they they come with their own persona and i remember after the about the six days of shooting uh we we all you know andre myself and daisy went out for drinks in uh south beach and we were kind of just letting the guard down and they were kind of like, you know, you could maybe change this about the way you're doing this or that. And I, it was something about just sort of um, being allowing to be close, but also still have that sort of dynamic of director and actor. And mm -hmm. I think that was a big lesson for me. It's like, the, you know, if you're directing, you kind of have to be able to see the whole picture. And sometimes not everyone sees it, but you have to trust in that vision you've got. And that was a really valuable lesson for me um, uh, just to kind of like keep a little bit of a – uh, of uh that separation just so um you know yeah no uh, I I mean, that. Mo the mojitos were going so we were <laughs> <laughs> yeah you do have to keep that director sort of actor relationship it yeah. is you know you're not a teacher necessarily but you are in control and you yeah. can't be it, it's a really fine line with how you play it um Absolutely. because you still got to say to them no i would like you to do it this way or yes i prefer your idea but you get final say most of the time so yeah. you can't be hey let's just throw this in the wind and let's yeah. have you, you know still have to carry, you have to carry it i think and, mm. and uh, you know i mean the cool thing was both of them were so good at improv that we you know we really kind of played with that and and that was a really fun experience to just let them you know give them a framework to work with yeah no, i can imagine and shane what about you for your you know your sort of debut when you first started out um from what i can tell you were a location manager for a while you did some second ading um and you sort of worked your way up production manager into producer your your journey then how did you 
you know, because now you're producing movies and you're doing it, you know, full time. Tell us about that, because for our listeners, it's people love to know how you went from starting out to producing movies. So how did it work for you? Well, it probably dates me now, but I, I you know, I've been doing this, like in this industry for probably 20 years. And literally, um, I started out literally as a PA picking garbage and, you know, being 10 kilometers away from set on a rural road with a stop. Mm, so, hating it. With a stop slow paddle at minus 40 degrees. <laughs> yes. And, and being like, yeah, I'm in the movie <laughs> business. And, and, and I just think that like, I just looked around sometimes and I was just like, you know, some of the people that were working and, and not to say anything bad about it, it's just like, all you really need to do is apply a little effort and you could probably move pretty high up in this, in this business. And, so I went and I just started kind of moving up quickly and locations was always going to be that easy place to start. And I, and I really like production and AD and logistics. And so I moved over to that and I was fortunate enough to, to you know, I started out like as a trainee AD on this series, Canadian series called Corner Gas. And I just kind of worked my butt off. And, and I think that, you know, like the other production manager really took me under his wing and I learned a lot from him. And, you know, second AD was something that like we felt, well, I felt for sure was you know, I was doing two, you know, two blocks or, or two, with two different, there was one second AD for, for different blocks. So I was always prepping and shooting and prepping and shooting all the time. So I think it put a lot of pressure on me. Then. Mm. And I just kind of learned a lot about the production side of it and the union side of it. And, and, you know, you grew up through all of them. And then after that, I started PMing and then back in 2009, still not knowing anything about producing because really there's no one teaches. There's not really school to produce you know so no, I, I was no, such an true. arrogant little prick and and i was just like i can produce if these people can do it like, i can do it and <laughs> and like you get burnt right like you you think you know more than you do and you don't really understand what it takes until you get burnt until you make a thousand mistakes and you know I'll still make a thousand mistakes but and and so mm-hmm. i started a company in 2009 and you know i thought i was a big time producer i could do it and um you know I was fortunate enough, I think, after was that the place I came from, Saskatchewan, had really good incentives and they had this equity program that if another producer was to come into our province, you know, they had to hire local producers type thing and maybe give them some training. So I was able to see during that time, you know, how much risk and heartache it takes. Because, like, even I was doing these talking dog movies and movies like Vampire Dog and Stepdog, Stepdogs uh, were produced by a good friend of mine now, Tim Brown. And he, you know, it was his kind of first time producing, but he took on the risk. So when it came time to trying to close a bond and make payroll and, 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 and close your bank financing and, you know, payroll's coming up and it's like, oh shit, you know, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> you know, houses, mm-hmm. houses were on mm-hmm. the line at that time uh, to make your payroll. And it's just, and it's a scary, scary thing to go through. And if I didn't have, you know, somebody coming in and taking that risk and me being a part of that. Like, I don't know if I would have ever been able to do that or maybe I would have lost my house or lost everything. And I think that going through something like that, you start saying, okay, well, listen, you know, like if you want to be considered, but at the same time, I guess I wasn't really considered the, the main producer. And that to me was always bothered me. And I, and I'm like, I'd, I always said to myself, I was like, I'd rather be the person up there accepting the award than sitting at home saying I worked on that show. So, you know, at, at that time, you just like, no, screw it. You have to you have to dig in and you have to take the risk and you have to finance yourself and you have to put all that pressure on yourself. And so it took a little while, I think. And and at the when I the first real movie that I took on by myself and and took all the pressure and everything was wasn't until 
2014, 2015, when I did Archie, the first one. And uh, mm. that's when, like, everything kind of changed because, you know, you I, I call the four years before that kind of university of producing, you know, getting boned, being the second in command, you know, learning learning from somebody else's mistakes while making mistakes. And, and just quickly, like, right before that, like, in 2012, I left Saskatchewan because the government had killed their, their tax credit uh, system. And I, and again, I was sitting there being like, I never want to sit in a place where I have to rely on a tax credit. I'm like, I would rather, and I hated the fact when I was crew and you'd have out of town producers and actors and directors and assistants that would come in and they're having a good time at the hotel and getting the per diem. And at the end of the day, I'm going home to take the trash out still. And it's like, no, I kind of want to work away from home. (laughs) How awesome Uh is that to be able to go? And do that. Like, yeah. I'm like, so I don't care where I live. I I need to learn the art of financing and putting movies together, delivering them, and not just servicing something. Um, there's nothing wrong with servicing. Don't get me wrong. It's safer and more money. I bet it. But, yeah, but sure. But that just wasn't for me. And I'd be a terrible employee, anyways. To be honest. So I um I just kind of took it over. And when I moved to Calgary. You know, at that time, it was like, okay, the world's coming to an end. My wife's pregnant. I'm living in this townhouse with my little office in a concrete basement. And there's this black hole of like, oh, shit. Like, I better learn this. I better learn how to finance. I better learn how to do this stuff. So um, I just I got on a plane once. And, and this is where Sarah kind of came in from Anamorphic because she had moved from uh the okanagan and bc to to calgary as well and she'd reached out and said hey we're both living here you know she was starting up a finance company at the time and she just Mm -hmm. said listen you know she's like i'd really like i think there's some some business in film and i'm like i also think there's some business in film and she introduced me to um a man named glenn paradis who's a partner in, in trilight and i literally like i had no money in the bank we we um we had just had a kid our first kid and uh, um, yeah. so I told my wife, I'm like, I'm going to go to Toronto with Sarah. I'm going to meet this this investor guy. And I had no money and I flew to Toronto on points and we spent eight, eight hours yeah. together. And instead of them investing in a movie, I got to, you know, agree that, you know, it'd be better to invest in the company itself. And, uh, and so he invested in the company. And then from there, that kind of started everything. And we didn't know each other. Like we spent eight hours together. We said, listen, once we sign this deal let's go to Tokyo and celebrate because we both like to, to travel everywhere. And I'm like, oh, yeah, for sure. I'll go to Tokyo. Three three months after it closed, he called me up. He's like, I got my ticket. Are we going? And I'm like, there's no no, there's no better place to, to bro down with your new business partner than in Tokyo, I guess. So cut to three <laughs> months later and us just sitting in Shin, Shinjuku hitting baseballs out of downtown Shinjuku and, and bonding. It was great. So uh, him, Sarah, and myself, you know, they, they both became a part of Trilight, the company. And and went on, and then all of a sudden, like financing started coming in, and started bank financing, and, and uh, the rest of the movies, and just did Archie and Adventure Club, and Welcome to Nowhere, and Archie Two, and Treasure Hounds, and and it's it got exhausting because doing everything yourself gets exhausting, and, and to try, and you need to scale up, like you you need if you want to make more money, especially at those budgets, you know, one and a half million dollar mm-hmm. budgets, you know, doing one a year isn't going to pay for everything, and so 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 yeah. I think I did it was three or four in one year and like from start to finish and delivering and doing everything. And it was just me. Like, don't get me wrong. Like Sarah and Glenn are great, but like when it comes to producing a production, yeah, that was your thing. That's what you did. Taking the risk, getting the bank loans, delivering, closing, running a thing, making sure nobody dies, everybody gets paid, you know, like it, like the Mm -hmm. stresses of that got to be so much. And so I said to Sarah one time, she's like, well, 
I'm like, there's, unless we're doing that a lot, like I need help or we need to start finding some partners that have done the development for the last three years that are looking for someone to come in. You have more leverage at that time um, to come in and, and not take over, but like to help or like let them run with some of it. You know, you can control the financing side mm-hmm. of it. So Sarah then started Anamorphic um, because she was raising money. And so we have this really weird partnership where she's like a little bit of part of Trilight, but she runs uh, Anamorphic. But because we built such a trust together, we started doing a lot of the projects together. And, and Anamorphic's first movie was Coldbrook with Bill Fichtner and Kim Coates. So give a shout out to those guys. Everyone should see that. Mm. It's on VOD. And, uh, we, and uh, William Fitchner directed it as well, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. even better. Absolutely. So we we were in Buffalo and she, it was kind of her first time to lead it, lead as a producer. I'm just like, get ready. Cause it's not fun. And, and she's oh, still gosh. dealing with some of this shit from that movie, like just the cleanup and the business affairs stuff of it. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of came up with this, like that, this was the, this was the model. It's just like Trilight's always going to develop something. Like we're always in developing on something, but we know how long that can take. But at the same yes. time, Trilight and Anamorphic can work together and find good partners to do movies with and anamorphic can uh, put a little financing together if it makes sense like you know like we've run models you know she's not she's not dumb she's not dumb and neither am i like we've been burnt so many times that we really run models we see what our risk is it might look good on the outside but when you really get into it, where's your recruitment fall like who's selling mm-hmm. it it's actually you know like have all this stuff we know and you know it was funny enough is that doorman came up because i knew the producer really well because he was selling our stuff and i know you know finn glenn and he was also on that but and finn has obviously been on the podcast not yes, recently I, actually, just, yeah. I, li- I listened to that i like finn a lot finn's and, great yeah and it was in tiff and not last year the year before i think it was and i know jason mooring who's the producer of that and we were sitting there and i called sarah up and i'm like listen i'm like there might be an opportunity here i said we're, we got a position to sit in front of a lot of other people. It's not a lot of money. You know, it's got Jean Reno and Ruby Rose. This might be a good thing profile-wise for some of the investors and everything. So next thing you know, you know, and that started off last year. And we were in Bucharest doing that while we were getting um, – that's when we also found out about Cage Fighter. And that's where we're like, we'll throw a little bit of money into this because it's wrestling and whatever. And and then it turned into – a full-time thing like when ta- when we took over a cage fighter like it needed it you know i don't want to say anything bad about anybody else i don't know if the movie goes if we don't take it over um and uh there's <laughs> we can get into me and jesse talk about getting this movie made was a 12-round fight just in itself <laughs> <laughs> but you know that's that's kind of how like the it's been working the dynamic between Sarah and I, um, but it's been working good. And, and we always put our investors first and we look at every thing, like even cage fighter itself. Sure. Could it have used more money? Absolutely. Was it going to get more money? Not a damn chance. You know, like it just didn't make sense for, for what it was. It's, it's fascinating. I think that whole journey for you is fascinating. And uh, I, I wanted to dive in so many times. That I was like, no, 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 let's keep <laughs> no, going. So just, sorry, like, talk. I'll just keep talking. So, yeah. No, it's brilliant. Producers love to talk about themselves, don't they? That's, that's it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's because often, you know, and I was talking about this with someone the other day, when you produce a movie, people don't often want to talk to you. Do you know what I mean? The stars get the attention of the director most of the time. If you produced it, they go, yeah, yeah, don't even go in the photo, mate. We're not interested. So <laughs> exactly, it's quite, yeah. it's quite nice to actually, that's why we like the podcast here. This is pent up energy right here. Yeah. <laughs> Years have not been allowed to talk. And it's like, no, no, let me talk. Um, so I want to jump back. You mentioned there about you first started to learn about the finance side of things. Mm-hmm. What was it that you learnt that, that made you sort of go, ah, oh, okay, that, that was a mistake. That was a mistake. Everything. What, everything. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where to put it. I think it was like, I think one of the things that you really have to learn as a filmmaker or producer or anything is that 
nobody gives a shit about your movie, you know, um, yeah. at the beginning, yeah. you know what I mean? Like everybody's got content. Everybody's got something and and you can't compare your movie to other movies like that because you, there's so many other facts that go along with like how much marketing was in it, what time, you know, what, what was the market like at that time? Who, who had connections at that time? Who was selling it at that time? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think you had to learn that um, it's, it's so much of this was BS. And, and I just said, you had to come up with a model that, okay, like who's going to sell it. And you had to learn how, you know, how your estimates were going to be. And not just that, because I was, I technically, I guess, and I put my fingers in quotation marks was a producer before I even knew, you know, foreign sales like yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you just you didn't know anything of it and i spent time and, and i give a lot of credit to a good friend of mine named nolan pilak who who was working at joker films at the time he now works at electric entertainment as a really good sales agent i remember being a can and being in berlin and being at afm and we would sit up at night at the end of the day and just because we were dudes and he would he would take me out to the other sales guys and i wouldn't pitch my stuff mm-hmm. i just sit there and listen and i and then i would at the end of the night i'd ask questions i'm like okay so if you buy have a buyer in the middle east and would like his content and like different buyers for different places and and we i just took it all in like a sponge and i learned so much about how to value your project and 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 how to like what kind of stars to put in and just because you think you're going to get an actor, you know, you'll start out with Kate Beckinsale and you'll, you'll end up with, you know, some no name because like actors. Because, yeah. <laughs> how actors, it is. Yeah. Actor, big actors aren't going to do your one and a half million dollar movie because they have a whole team putting them in a direction. They can't risk your movie failing. No. You know? And their agent doesn't want them <laughs> no, to do no, it because they get no money. The actor no, might. <laughs> and, you, and you sit there and you play that game. And you're like, oh, so-and-so did this movie. Of course they're going to do my movie. Trust me. They're not doing your movie. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. So like, yeah. you just have to learn. There's so many things that you just didn't know and didn't learn. And, you, and I'm still learning. Like, I think that I make a thousand mistakes still all the time. Like, am I anywhere close to where I was before? No. But, you know, like, you still, whether it's a bad business deal or a good business deal, like, even this thing with Fight, I think is amazing right now. Um, You know, that's... There's no model for for how this was working before this pay-per-view thing. And it's just like, well, screw it. Doing something is better than doing nothing. And and trying to do everything you can for your investors, I don't think is a bad thing. I think that's a great thing. I think it's really important. I think that's one of the things I've learned is it is about your, you you mentioned there about selling it and distribution and knowing who your audience is in that marketplace, because it's all well and good. You're going off and making a wonderful drama with, you know, someone who was in a TV show once, but how can you sell that? How can you get that into the market? So what do you do? Do you then, so you'll get a project in, you will look at it. You go, well, we like this. We like the director. We like the the area it's going in. Now, do you then go to sales or do you go to your finance first? What do you do? Is it kind of a, an umbrella effect? Yeah, it's a little, it's a little kind of a mix together because, because Sarah represents the financing side, you know, and a lot of like her finance, her, her investor pool really does trust her. We look at it right away and said, like, we're not going to waste financiers time you can't show them a package that they get excited about and then you find out that you know the only financing available is the, you know the third third tier or something like that yeah. so so totally, we call it weeding yeah. out the it's like we like to call it yeah yeah oh, nice yeah weeding out the so, hashtag. Exactly. <laughs> so we, we just kind of go through each each project's different there's never one that's the same there's no model like we did this bella thorne mickey work movie last year where the option was the same you know to sit behind another fi- well-known finance company and we just said listen like by the time their fees are in and, and like if we're sitting here like there's no security there's not enough why don't we just take it over mm. 
you know, and that kind of what happened with Cage Fight. We hmm. talked about the financing as well. There was going to be other financiers as well, but having you know pre-sales and, and tax credits and stuff, it's like, well, no, you're you're actually more secured if you just take the whole thing over. It's more money, don't get me wrong, but there's actually more chance and less risk and more control. And and I think that we looked at that at the last couple movies that we've done. Um, there's other movies mm-hmm. coming up that were still like, you know, maybe we'll take the, the security against North America or try. Well, always like we're never. It's never going to be stupid money anymore. Um, not not like it was stupid no, money before. It, it wasn't. It was just like, but you wouldn't take a position. And anytime we, the position hasn't been the best, it's at least been in a, it has at least been really smaller in a good spot. And I think that like if you want to be taken mm-hmm. seriously as a financier or anything in this business, like you you have to have money. Like you have to be able to put it up because just having a hundred grand or something like that and that you want to play with and put it somewhere, unless you're going into a pool with a bunch of investors. In, in our in our model, like forget it. Like how many people have you heard that you know have invested? No offense, Jesse, but like even the two hundred fifty grand for Callis Tans, like mm. it's tough to make your money back on just having a few hundred grand to do something. Mm. And if you really want to get in this business, you need to have money. And and if you want to be taken seriously in this business as a, as a financier or anything, you have to have backing and you have to have money. And and I think that for the right value still. So instead of spreading around you know, two or $3 million to, you know, six different movies or something. We started looking at, well, let's do a couple movies and, 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 and try to take most of it over. And, and then I'll always go out and get bank financing for tax credits or something like that on top of that. It's perfect. And that explained it really well. Thank you. Um, we'll come back, Jesse. So you're in Cannes. You've been talking about this movie cage yeah. fire for a while. Uh, and I mean, it's been a passion project of yours, obviously, because you love martial arts anyway. You, the script is now, in a solid place, you feel you've, you now go to Cannes and, and uh, you meet Shane and the team. They like it. Now, does things change for you in terms of suddenly it moves forward? Like, say, from there, I think it took about a year to suddenly you were shooting. Yeah, am I right? It, or it, was like, it was like six months from the time we was it yeah. From, yeah. from Cannes? Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> and, 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 and here's the thing. Know. It was like we met Cannes and, and it was like, let's do this. And, and um, I mean, there's so many little things that happen in between, but we were at one point going to do it in London. Yeah, because she well, because you're yeah. based in London. This is interesting for our listeners. Obviously, you don't sound English at no, all. I'm, fr- I'm from Miami. You are yeah, from I've been Miami. Living in London for 20 years. Okay, I love Miami. I was there for the Popcorn Frights Film Festival oh, with the oh, Dare oh, recently, nice. and I had such a brilliant time in Miami. It was so cool. Um, yeah. But you live in London. You live here in London. I live. I live in London, mm-hmm. but I, I have not figured out how to make a movie here yet. To be honest, you know. So <laughs> every time I end up putting one together, it ends up going abroad. You know. And, and do you know so what? I, that, I think that's interesting. Interesting, and, and it's something that's being said about our industry at the moment. I feel in the UK yeah. is that you can go make a movie for up to, like, say, two hundred and fifty, maybe, and you can sort of go do it yourself. But anything above, it suddenly becomes a almost a working title movie. It becomes a very different picture. Um, it's yeah. doable, but you're right. There seems to be easier opportunities elsewhere, and I think a lot of filmmakers are looking at that. So you did right to do that. It was the best thing you did. Yeah, essentially, I think it's the only way I could get it made and then you know we, we we did definitely look at london but that didn't work and then um shane you know had just done uh his movie doorman in uh bucharest so then that became you know some, an option but and then it kind of uh moved to regina saskatchewan and to be honest having shot there now i think that was probably the best place to make the movie you know getting the best bang for your buck and and um you know just the facilities we had there were incredible yeah you know? okay so so now you you've got that six month period where if, you're going, oh my God, is this movie actually happening? Talk us through that process, how you felt, because it's it's a wonderful feeling when someone wants your movie and you think you might be making it, but at the same time you think any minute now all might yeah. just fall apart. 
Totally. I mean, until we were, uh, you know, on the first day of shooting, you know, you're you're always in the back of your mind thinking something's going to fall apart, you know. And um, but, you know, for me, I was just trying to hold my nerve and do all the steps that needed to be happening in the buildup. You know, um, it's a fight movie. There's four big fights. So one of the big things was, you know, get it choreographing the fights, you know, and uh, uh, I worked with um, uh, our fight choreographer was also our lead actor alex montagnani mm. and we basically pre each fight um then we broke it down into beats and then we did i, I storyboarded the hell out of it which i was obsessed with you know shane was teasing me during the shoot because I, I was just obsessed with these storyboards but i think i was just sort of i still know. haven't seen them i still never looked <laughs> that's how much he ribs you on them <laughs> so i need to see these I, I know, I know. It's, it's but it's because it, it was. I, I think the thing was, and fear is sometimes not a bad thing. I was so afraid of just not getting the coverage, you know. Mm. And um, there's so many little pieces uh, to a fight, you know. And there's it's such a, a a full world, you know. You have the fighters, you have the judges, you have crowd, you've got, um, you know, they're you know the the key characters in the crowd that we want to focus on. So there's so many little bits. And I want, I just thought, I don't want to be there, not, not know what I need or miss something. So I've had these storyboards up and while we were shooting, I would just be taking off one. I just thought if I nail, if I take off all these shots in my storyboard, I got the, I got the scene. Yeah. And so just really putting that together, um, you know, we were also uh, casting and that's when, you know, uh, I mean, we didn't really have a casting director. So Shane pretty much was also doing that. I mean, reaching out to Chuck Liddell and, Brilliant. you know. John Moxley through Jay Riso and, and, you know, Gina Gershon. So there was all these pieces that were kind of falling into place. And as we got closer and closer, it started getting really like, man, this is going to happen. And then John Moxley get, got injured and all of a sudden it was like, Oh shit, you know? Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, that... <laughs> it's, it's a, it's sort of the scary part of a fight movie is that you are dealing with fighters. You know, John Moxley's AEW champ every Wednesday is like in the ring and doing, death-defying stuff and you know there's always that risk that one of your stars is going to get hurt it really is well why don't you because i'll play the trailer after you just give us a little pitch about what the film is about and then we'll mm-hmm. jump dive straight into it okay yeah um so cage fighter worlds collide uh it's about the it's a story of a a, a fighter called reese gibbons who is a five-time champion for a fictional promotion called legends and you know he's clean out the division he's uh you know on the cusp of taking over the world and he's got, you know, a beautiful wife and a kid that's on the way. And he's got an agent, uh, Reggie, who's uh, played by Elijah Baker. Great upcoming. Great British actor. Fantastic. And he's he kills it in this. Um, and, uh, you know, he's got movie deals. And the world is, is in the, you know, the palm of his hand. And his promoter, Max Black, who's played by Gina Gershon, uh, approaches him and says, look, for your sixth title defense, I've got something kind of exciting in store. I want you to fight this pro wrestler. Uh, called Randy Stone, who's played by AEW champ John Moxley, and at first he's like, ah, I'm not sure about that. It seems kind of a gimmick, um, but then he starts looking into him with his a- his agent uh, Reggie, and they start realizing this guy is a legit star, and there's some crossover potential here, and so they take the fight, and it ends up being the biggest fight of his life. Are you ready for a new legend? Ladies and gentlemen, you are looking at the number one fighter on the planet. Come on, finish him. The one, the only, 
I got a proposition for you boys. I think the fans deserve something really special for the sixth title defense. Well, what have you got in mind? What are you thinking? Randy Stone. From pro wrestling? I'm on a pilgrimage to scorch the earth one broken leg at a time until I am the last man standing. When you put four ounce gloves on anyone, anything could happen. How is it that this guy just walks in from pro wrestling into MMA? Purists are, are going to go crazy here. You don't think I belong with Gage with you? You should show some respect. Forever. I'm going to beat this man with an inch of his life. I'm the toughest man in the world. I'm going to prove that. You on the your face. Reese, can't you see what Max is trying to do? She's throwing you to the walls. No, I'm not afraid of him. What if we lose? You got that much faith in him, huh? Max, who's running this company? You know, you or Randy Stone? William Bullser. Are you sure this is what you want to do? Because I believe in you, Reese. You've done a pretty good job without balls, wouldn't you say, Reggie? This isn't scripted like the other place you came from. That's really cool. See, that's the trailer. If you like MMA, you're going to love this movie. If you like really cool action and beautifully well-made fights, you're going to really enjoy this. Um, the performances look amazing as well from the trailer. I can't wait to see this. May the 16th, you're going to get to see it. Uh, is it going to continue on after that? Obviously, it comes out on May the 16th. What happens? Can Is it just a one-night-only performance uh, re- uh, release? What happens? Tell us about that. Well, I think that because, you know, we, there's a lot, there's a, there was a lot of back and forth with Michael Weber at Fight, who I just couldn't, like, I just love this guy. We, we got on the phone, you know, nine months ago and we we're talking about, you know, maybe doing some sponsorship. And, and then we just started talking about wrestling. And he was telling me about all his old stuff. And, and to answer your question, then the long way was, you know, I always loved, and this is so cheesy and I'm probably going to rip for this, but, I don't know if anyone remembers in, in 89 was a movie called No Holds Barred with Hulk Hogan and, and, and Zeus. And, and, <laughs> Who could forget? Yeah. It's a classic. <laughs> but, what they did, but what they did at that time is they on a pay-per-view, they did the match in the movie where you know Macho Man and Zeus were fighting Brutus Beefcake and Hogan. And then yeah. you got a pay-per-view, you could do a steel cage match, and then you could watch the movie. And I always loved, like, I just, just that event was just amazing. Never mind whether the movie was good. Ah, the movie's fine. But um, – yeah. Never, I can't really dig on Hulk Hogan. It's one of my favorites, but you know, like the what we start. He and Michael Weber worked on that movie, and I was like, Jesus Christ! And we started talking, and I was just such a fan, and he was talking about it. And then when this came to time, I'm like, what if we did something like that? You know, like never mind trying to put on a MMA, getting an MMA sanction. I have no idea how to put on an MMA mat, like tournaments mm. are no idea. And and yeah. rest, wrestling's a little different. So we talked about doing an event like that, and fight was maybe going to cover it. And then when all this stuff happened, I'm like, you know, what if we just did a one night event thing? You know, obviously for investors taking the risk and putting your whole movie on a platform and giving them VOD rights for a year or something like that wasn't something that we were ready to risk at the time. Although I Mm -hmm. think I think with the promotion they've done, it's better than any other (laughs) distributor I've ever worked with. I'll tell you that. But yeah, but they um, so we just said, let's do a one night event. 
you know, leave it for 24 hours and, and let's just come back to it and talk about it after that and, and see where we are. Um, the U.S., we, we pre-sold the U.S. in the first place, so they they opted to keep their release in the fall, which is fine. Totally respect that. And that's why it's not available in the, real life, the U.S. So we're just going to wait and see what happens from this event. We don't have any expectations. We have no models to go off of because of the, um, you know, the COVID, everybody being at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we just and we're a grassroots campaign plus with fight with without their outreach has been amazing so we're gonna wait and see what happens and if it does really well you know maybe it stays on there if it, if it doesn't maybe it stays on there if it if it does mediocre, <laughs> i don't i don't know you know like we're we'll look at traditional ways of selling it territory by territory after that uh, as well i think the sky's the limit and that's one of the p- things that people don't realize sometimes is when you have private financing to do some of your films at this level, um, mm-hmm. you have more options. Like instead of pre-selling and, and repaying the bank loan and, and having your financier come in and, and, you know, having to have all those territories done or holdbacks or anything, it really limits you sometimes of what you can do. And we had a really good deal with screen where you didn't have to hold back for the U S like, like a lot of deals uh, out yeah. there. And so we were able to do this. So I think like we have every opportunity to do whatever it is we want to do with this film after. So we're just going to sit back, not make any decisions and see how it goes on the 16th. I think it's a great decision. I think it's really clever because especially, like you say, now everyone's inside. Everyone's looking for things to watch something new and it's all in one place. You haven't spread it out. You haven't. It's like, there you, there you are. This is the day. If you like this kind of movie, you're going to watch it. Do you see what I mean? And yeah. I, think it's, I think it's great and I wish you the best. I think it's going to do well, but hey, what do I know? But it's cool. Hmm. It's, you know, it's publicity and everything drives towards that. So excellent so let's let's talk about how you actually produced the movie then and actually got it made and we'll talk jesse about you about how you directed it mm-hmm. in terms of them producing the movie and actually saying right did you all agree on the budget did you go through that process of okay well it probably <laughs> cost this what was <laughs> the whole because you didn't know where you were shooting as well did that well, keep moving and changing yeah it was changing all the time and like mm. i don't know anything about shooting in the uk i really don't like jesse would say more but you know looking at those budgets i was like Guys, this, something's going to have to give here. We're either going to have to lose money on cast or lose days. You're not going to get enough studio time to shoot the yeah. fights. Like something's going to just hurt. And then, you know, moving it to, to Bucharest because, you know, just spend, spending all that time there, it was like, well, listen, you know, this could double for London. They have gyms. We we went down, really the, we went, we went down the road in Bucharest mm-hmm. like you wouldn't believe. And, and like I, I'll say it now, but the, one of the main reasons why we were going, that we ended up coming, shifting to Canada, was we like you remember that pay per view that Moxie was supposed to fight Kenny Omega in the end of August in Chicago and mm-hmm. and we yeah. had it all planned out we had mm-hmm. a second unit planned out we were gonna go shoot the pre stuff with Moxley in Toronto he was up there with his wife mm-hmm. and then at the end of August uh, we were gonna go shoot stuff at Santino's Gym Battle Arts yeah uh, and yeah. we and then from there we were gonna fly over to Chicago during the event and and get some of our pundits that are in the movie and Rizzo was coming up to Canada like we were we were ready like we we were gonna shoot. And Sarah and I were on a flight the next day. Like this happened, we were supposed to fly up to, to Northern Ontario because we were doing that Mickey Rourke and Bella Thorne movie and drive down. And, and all of a sudden, I get a call from Jay Rezzo, and he goes, "Are you sitting down?" I'm like, "What's going on?" And he's uh, like, "He's like, he's like Mox. He's like John needs surgery." And I'm like, "And I'm like, what? You know, like, <laughs> is he, you know, like is he okay?" And and you know, of course, like at first, you're just like, "Oh my God, my, all this planning and the money we spent." And but then you stop mm-hmm. and you're just like, "Jesus Christ!" Like this is this guy's life. 
you know, like the, like, yeah. you know, he's, yeah. He's reality got, hits. Yeah. It? Reality. Yeah. It's just like, this is his whole life because this surgery was, was serious. I guess. I don't know if they made it out to be serious, but like, if he didn't, if something didn't happen during a surgery or something like that, it was going to be worse for him or he would have been out for a longer time. And, and he, and, and this is his first match in AEW. Like, and so you start thinking, I'm like, they got to make this announcement that he can't be at, AEW, that, at that pay-per-view. Like, I mean, forget our movie. Like, listen, it, yeah, it sucks. Forget our movie. But this is this guy's life. Mm. And so we all kind of sit back and we were just like, okay, everyone, everything just stops. Let us know if he's okay. I just want to know if he gets out of surgery. Okay. Never. We'll talk about if he's going to still do the movie after that. And and like that kind of happened. So we, we kind of sat back for a week and came out of surgery and it was, it was, he got the good news he needed and they still wanted to do it. But it really started making you think you're like, he's going to be on AEW weekly television every Wednesday. So trying to fly him back and forth to Europe mm. and the expenses, and you start weighing the cost of expenses for that. And like, what if something happens to him and there's no contingency plan and I'm, I'm in this new country that like, I don't have the same support as my own home stuff. And I'm like, what is it that we really need? We, what we really need is a studio and an arena that like, mm. that, like if you think about the main things that you really needed in this movie. And so it just so happened where I'm my hometown, Regina, Saskatchewan, as a purpose-built soundstage, it's one of the nicest ones I've ever seen in the world. It's big, yep. it's gorgeous, and it's got an arena where there's got a hockey arena, you know, and that you know you can work schedule out. And I was just like, and I said, guys, like this, and I'm talking like this is now. We started prep October fourth. Mm. I'm talking this is now like September fifth, sixth. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm like, it, this is, I'm like, this is a redo guys, you know, like, sorry to the guys in Bucharest that helped me out, but like, this is an absolute redo. And, and so I was, then I ended up going up to Sudbury in Northern Ontario, supposed to be on that other set. And Jesse and I are talking till three in the morning every day, mm. you know, working out. Cause I've AD'd it, like, I put the schedule as well together. Cause we're trying to put a, a proper budget and finance plan together. But I'm like, Jesus Christ, like we need to, like, this is a whole redo. And we not just that, but because that stuff we didn't shoot with Moxley, we have to do up there. And again, this is another thing. And I know I don't think it's reckless. I think it's it's just being smart because I was stressed about it. But having no bond on a movie like this or no, you know, where you didn't have to mm-hmm. insure the actors for that. Like, there's no yeah. way this movie doesn't get made like that because there's no way a bond's going to come in and, and take over or let you do this without the having the insurance on your cast. And no insurer sure. was ever going to insure Moxley. Not just because of that, sur- he not be- with the surgery they would have, but he had that another big event on November 9th in the middle mm. of our shooting. It was like a barbed wire <laughs> match or something. <laughs> you know, you know, like we had to fly him back, and he and he's doing the big barbed wire match. You'll see, <laughs> you'll see scenes in a movie because we do have the partnership with AEW. Like I purposely wanted some of those shots in our movie because, like, that just to remind me that the stress level. <laughs> I like. I'm like. I'm like. like that is staying in the movie. Yeah, that is staying in. Staying, the stress like, of that. I'm, I'm like John. It. I'm like. I, I'm like. What's really gonna happen in this match of yours coming up? <laughs> Jesse, we took him for dinner, and I was like, yeah. "I'm like, I need to sit down with him, and I, I need to just let him know that distresses me out a bit." Like, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> and, and, and he played, he's like, "Ah, oh, dude, it's just Hollywood style stunts. Like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it." I'm like, "Well, I'm a little worried, you know." Like, you know? <laughs> and so after, and we were all shooting at the night that he was doing that event, and he was supposed to come back, and he fights Kenny Omega in the most brutal match. Like that will go down as one of the matches that people talk about for years. He texts me after, and he's like, "Let's make a movie, babe," and I'm just like, "Oh, I love this man." I love this man. <laughs> so, yeah. So, anyways, coming back to Regina, like it was, it was a redo. It was a complete redo, and and we had like three and a half weeks to start from scratch. We knew the amount of money with based on the cast that we had, and we hadn't cast Chuck at this time. Um, you know, we lost our star at that time. Um, 
so like there were so many things just pushing you for this movie to fall apart. Mm. And and I yeah. think just the perseverance of willing it to stay and problem solving is, you know, I take great pride in that. Yeah. Well, you should do. Yeah. It's great. So you, so you're constantly adapting and changing and everything you'd normally do on a movie, but you were doing it. You kept moving countries and saying, right, we're moving from here to making there. The, making the movie was the easy part, it's, if you ask me. Once, sometimes it is, isn't it? Once you're on set, there's yeah. always problems on set, yeah. but it's getting to set. <laughs> Yeah, I never worried about anything because like, nothing in on set. This even the injury to Alex, nothing, nothing on set compared to the the shit and stress we went through before. There you go. And what about for you, Jesse? Then during that time, because as the director, it's just kind of out of your hands a little bit, though you might have been yeah. hands on. It's quite difficult because you're prepping everything in your head, but any minute now, like you say, it might all fall apart. So how did you deal with that? And what were you doing during that time to stay sane and keep prepping? I think I mean once what like once it and I and I'm like. It's not alien to me that things change, you know. So when it was, you know, London or Romania, I was like, okay, you know, and and I and I try as best I can to, to you know, stay adaptable. And and you know, I think as a filmmaker, you got if you get you can't get too kind of married to one thing because things change for a, a whole range of reasons. So, so when it thought when it was became Regina, it did feel like okay, this feels like the right fit, and, you know, and then. Shane was sending me, you know, photographs of like the arenas that we would shoot in and the locker rooms, you know, we were able to shoot in like a, a locker room of, of their, uh, you know, their football team there, which is like, we just, there's no way we would have got a locker room like that in London. No way. So, no way. I mean, it'd been yeah. like 80,000 a day or something ridiculous. It's so totally, yeah. that, that it, it started to feel really real. And then, you know, as he said, you know, we'd be up till three in the morning, you know, he was scheduled. He basically first AD this, you know, and he kind of schedule, put wow. a schedule together and he'd be like, you know, what, what's, what do you mean? But what's, what do you, what's happening in this scene? How many, you know, people are you picturing? And it really was great because it started to really, it made it really clear in my head. Okay. These, there's like 15 extras here. There's 10 extras here. Cause sometimes you're writing the script and you're kind of like conveying mm. information, but you're not really looking at the nuts and bolts of it. So, Very true. Yeah. Until you've been on set. And yeah. you suddenly go, oh, I didn't actually put how many. Oh, it's someone else's script. It's just not in there. But you've got to make that decision and go, oh. And when someone questions you like that, yeah. suddenly you're like, well, all right, well, let's have 15. You can always change your mind. But right, that's uh, so that Absolutely. you can help schedule everything in. Because where do you put the extras? Where do you put them? I, like, we didn't have time, like, knowing preps coming. It's not normally something a producer would do. You know, obviously, sure. but, like, just knowing that we were, like, Shit, we need to have this thing so prepped as, as much as possible, and like working that budget and trying to find and putting that balance side financing. Because again, just because we moved to Canada didn't mean we we're going to throw more money into it either. Like, the, like we were at our max of the comfort zone, mm -hmm. and, and you just had to make it work. And 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 you still, but but you still don't want to take anything away from the movie so it doesn't look as good as it can. No, that's very true too. Yeah. So how did you make it look as good as it can then, Jesse? What did you do? What was your slant on this? Because from what I've seen, the fights look incredible. I'm like, wow. At first, oh, at first I actually was like, is that real um and, and <laughs> that's good that's glad you, you, you asked I, well actually i was generally like are they just actually just fighting but um i imagine there was a bit of that but it was also holding back but how did you yeah. do that what was your plan what was your technique for your shots and your camera moves especially in a ring when we've mm -hmm. all seen boxing movies before but not mma yeah. as such what was your it'd be really interesting to hear your process and what you you, you went through i think like you know i i love fight movies and i you know some some have kind of pulled us off better than others. You know, I love the Rocky films and things like that. I wanted to um, make the fights look as realistic as possible, you know, um, and I wanted to, you know, where an audience is looking at it, you know, if they're MMA fans or wrestling fans are looking at it or just people that love action films, that they 100% they believe these guys are in a real fight. And 
kind of on a technical level, the way I, I you know, strategy wise in terms of doing this was um, one was, um, you know, I kind of uh, played around with the frame rate a little bit, you mm. know, so rather than going 24, I go 22. And then I'd have the actors go at about 70% intensity. And so that kind of, uh, bring, you know, that little gap made it look like they were going 100%, you know. Um, right. So it just gave it yeah, that's a really real, cool. yeah. And then, we, you know, the, the DP, we kind of play around with, you know, shutter speed. And, and sometimes we give it a little smear and go seven frames a second, things like that, just to kind of really capture the psychology of um, these fighters and really get inside their heads. Um, and that was, a, that was Mark Dabrowski, right? That's who right. you worked Mark with, right, on one of your first movies, I, I believe, Shane. I've known Mark, yeah, for, for many, many years. Yeah, I'll, I'll let Jesse keep talking about it. But I was like, when Jesse was coming over to Canada, I was like, listen, it's 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 better to have a local DP that at least has experience. Just because mm-hmm. sometimes you bring a deep DP over. And, and nothing against, like, I think there's a lot of talented DPs out there. But when you're coming into a new place and your whole camera team's used to that DP and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you just needed, this was the right decision for this film. Yeah, it is. No, you're right. He's done Tideland, The Messengers and Just Friends, yeah. just so everyone yeah. knows. He's, yeah. he's, he's done a lot of action as well, which was really cool. Um, it, yeah, I suppose that must have helped you saying, look, yeah, I'm happy with him. And plus he's in the area and he knows the crew, which yeah. does help. So important. I mean, we had a great, they uh, you know, a great gaffer as well, Peter LaRock. Um, you know the 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 crew was awesome, was awesome, and I think what Mark really um, was good at is just getting right into the action. You know, sometimes even to the so close that you know the actors might even be punching the camera, like just to really take us in. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in terms of giving the scale, because I think from the moment I, I, I pitched this, uh, you know, I I always thought it'd be really amazing to make this movie look as big as a proper UFC event. I to be sure. honest, and, and to be honest, I didn't know how. You know, and and I, we I know with Shane and I uh, we kind of batted around different ideas you know at one point i was trying to talk to like uh an actual mixed martial arts promotion um that actually ran events and we'd go in and kind of do it the way the wrestler had done it you know darren aronofsky's film where he goes to a live event takes Mm -hmm. cameras in and uses the gaps between the events the the, the fights to kind Mm -hmm. of get real crowd and just couldn't find you know we just started looking at the those possibilities and you're looking at like tiny windows where you can go in and shoot and we just thought never i didn't have enough budget time no definitely and and it's just like you we wouldn't be able to light it properly and you know they're lighting it for an actual live event whereas we need to light it for film Mm -hmm. so in the end we kind of went um we we pushed energy more towards vfx you know and, and um using uh special effects to really build our world and rather than having a partnership with a promotion create our own promotion you know that's where we came up with legends mm-hmm. and i think doing it that way and having you know the amazing soundstage uh, in in regina it's like we were able to have complete creative control and from the ground up put the you know find the right cage for every and we poured over every single decision you know whether we wanted a circle circular cage versus an octagon mm-hmm. or a hexagon the canvas you know, the color of the, the cage material, um, you know, where we wanted the the seats to be, how close. I mean, everything was sort of like analyzed to death. And I think, um, you know, it was it was really cool to kind of, in a way, just do some proper world building. In that yeah, way. it was really exciting. very exciting. So talking about the action then. So you're getting in there with the camera and obviously you've you're working that through with your lead guy, Alex, who's playing Reese. Yeah. But obviously he's choreographing mm-hmm. as well. So you like say you, you're building this for a long time. You'd already done your previs. So mm-hmm. now when you come to it, are you adapting in some way? You go, well, actually, it looks better like this. And oh, yeah. you're constantly changing yeah. and updating, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I think we um, we had we had a very clear storyboard. You know, every, every fight was very clearly storyboarded. Not just the fights, but all the action around the fight. So if we're like needing to see the three judges cage side or or the horn guy, everything was very storyboarded, and every uh, beat of the fight was storyboarded. But there's you know, fights are and and, and we're we're still going seventy percent. That's still pretty intense, and so things happen and. Um, one of the big kind of uh, things that sort of for- focused us, you know, forced us to change the way we're doing it was that Alex got a bit of an injury on the, we had four fights, so like we're doing them over five days and he got an injury. And basically after the second day of shooting the fights, his mobility was really badly affected. Mm-hmm. And I had, I had all this flashy stuff I was, I had in mind, I was going to have him jumping up cages and doing kicks off cages and all kinds of craziness. And he couldn't do any of that, you know, and then it became a situation where we had to like, um, go in and, and really rework the choreography on the spot, you know? Yeah. And um, what was really cool is that, you know, I think with the combination of having uh, John Moxley, who's, you know, his whole, his whole, you know, uh, industry is about build, being able to tell story, stories to choreography. He, you know, with him and then our stunt coordinator, uh, Daniel Ford Beavis and myself, we kind of knew how we wanted the, the fight to end. And we basically had to reverse engineer it so that we could find a way to get there in a way that was natural and, looked authentic so we had our endpoint, and we had to kind of work our way back from that so that that definitely was a, a stressful day to figure that yeah, out yeah i can imagine and and so and cast wise as well you, you need did you cast pretty much mma fighters as well who could act or was it actors who were pretty good at mma uh, most of the time what was the balance there for you I think, I mean, I definitely, for the fighters, I, I wanted to have um, real, you know, real fighters. Yeah. You know, we, like Alex has had about 12 MMA fights. Um, John Moxley, you Loved. know, yeah, is a yeah. wrestler. Um, Luke Rockhold is a coach who's like a former UFC champion, mm. chocolate UFC Hall of Famer. So, and then also we have Rob Renenbaum and Jason Trong, who are two of the other fighters in the film. And they're, they're both martial artists. So I think, you know, it was really important to kind of have actual fighters in there that you know so we they there was no like faking a punch or anything they they legitimately know how to do it yeah which makes a huge difference right and, and plus those they used to being cameras all around you, you watch any of the mma fights and there's a there's like four or five cameras around plus the big one so they used to a camera around it's not like this is new how am i going to do this so okay but well then so you've got your cast there but then you've got your gina gershons and you've got your acting moments and you've got these how did that come about and how did you work with them when it's now you're not in the ring and you, you're working on the the lovely emotional scenes or the backstory you know all this stuff with mm. uh, elijah and gina and stuff G- i mean gina is awesome and when she's on like 80 movies oh, yeah. she's so, so good. I mean, and that level of experience just i it was it was amazing i mean and, and um you know a lot of her scenes were with Elijah Baker, you know, Reggie. And, and I think, you know, it was some of, some of the funnest stuff to do, you know, just seeing them kind of have their own fight, but <laughs> through dialogue. And, you know, they're both really sharp. You know, she runs the promotion. He's a top agent. And seeing them kind of go at it was just uh, fireworks. And, you know, I kind of, you know, let them rip and, 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 you know, play with some improv and things like that. And um, I, I, I definitely, when Elijah arrived in Regina, I said, better step up on this one man you better you know don't let her bully don't let her bully you you know don't you really step up and he really did he's i mean he's so good in this and, that's um, great i can't wait for people to see it for that for that reason how do you like to work with actors then um especially especially when you someone's taking a punch and it's that balance of how far do they play it because it's mm. it's, it's one mm. thing getting punched and actually how you really react but then it's how you react to getting on you know fake punched and all that mm. and getting that balance really right between it 
looking real and it slightly looking fake. How did you work that with the actors? How did you do it? I mean, I, I, I try to keep it as, as safe as possible within what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and obviously like, you know, uh, the punches weren't landing or nothing like that, you know, and, yeah. and, um, or if when they were doing say the ground fighting aspect, it'd be punching this, you know, the sides of the arm, but gently and just using good camera angles that would hide, hide the, uh, contact mm-hmm. a part of it so that, you know, through sound, uh, sound makes it, it all sells. Um, so I think it was just about um, making sure that they they had they had the choreography they they had the parameters really clear, but then also giving them that space with you know coming up with moments, which is kind of how I, I try to work with actors even through just sort of a scene with dialogue. You know that they they kind of know the the key points of the scene, but then I, I'm a big fan of of, of improv. You know, and I think that um. It's it, it's not so much what the actors what the the script is not so much what the actors are meant to say it's the intention you know mm-hmm. that kind of Stanislavski thing of um, objectives and and knowing what your objective is in the scene or in a key beat in the scene and so I, I kind of focus my direction more on what the objective is in the scene rather than them like nailing a line or whatever you know love it that's great really cool so now you've you've, you've eighteen days you shoot it did you get pretty much everything you needed was the problems on set obviously there always is but was the stuff that was overcomable or was it stuff that you went okay we're just gonna have to rework this now or drop this scene did that happen a bit or was it all pretty tight i think sam correct me if i'm wrong i think we pretty much shot everything we were intending to sh- like every scene we, we didn't have to drop anything even with no. the injury I think the only things that were dropped were just because, like, again, at nighttime, like, after you're done shooting, it's not just you don't just finish and go home and go to bed and that's it. We you know, we would be up having a drink, talking about the story, talking about the script, seeing where it's going. And there's sometimes there's scenes where it's just like, well, the scene might not be needed. Mm. Or you know, if you change the dialogue in this other scene, you know, like, that covers what we're trying to get get here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think that those might have went, you know, just tightening up the story. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, like, you, you obviously wish that you could, like, you hate shooting a movie when you cut and you leave a bunch of stuff in the edit, edit room floor mm. and always thought just like wouldn't it be great to do a movie where you actually shot everything and used everything yeah. instead mm. of all <laughs> cutting yeah, so so i think as you get more experience in every movie you try to look at that so you know there i don't think we didn't have to cut anything because of time we cut it because of more story the only thing that with time was was probably working around alex's injury right there you go. Well, that says yeah. that you guys are brilliant scheduling and putting everything together. It's it's great. So it sounds like it was a mm. successful production. So well done, man. Really good. And obviously, we've talked about how you're distributing it now, which is really exciting. So um, what about some tips and advice then for people to go out there and make an action film? What could you give us? Jesse, let's start with you. Um, for action, I would say that um, having done this now, because I've, I've done you know, some fight scenes, but never on this scale, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, never like, I mean, there's about 30, 30, a third of the movie is action packed, you know, and, um, uh, lessons that I could pass on is, um, one come as prepared as possible. Um, you know, I really like the process of kind of, uh, you know, uh, doing previs, you know, and, and, you know, like using beats or uh, bullet points or whatever that kind of just give you the, the, the key points you want, because fighting is like, it's like its own language, you know, and there's still a dramatic arc. In a, in a fight, and I, I really like the idea of prevising it so you see it, and if possible, even prevising it in the angles that you're planning on shooting on, so that you really um, leave no stone unturned. And but at the same time, when you're there in the space, you know a, a great uh, fighter or a great um, stunt man will bring their own flavor to it, and being open to that creative uh, input is really exciting. So um, I think be as prepared as possible, but then on the day, leave yourself open to those undiscovered moments. Amazing, Shane. 
First, I'd like to just say, throw your storyboards out the window. <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> I think I think for, for on the producer side of it, I think you know, just be smart, protect yourself. You know, make sure your stunt stuff or action stuff is as close to the end as possible. Get insurance if you can. Mm-hmm. Just be, even if you get, make sure you just cover your butt. Like, get, make sure you have your stunt guys and you follow all the rules. And when accidents happen. You know, mm. so just make sure that you've done everything that you can do to put everybody in a safe environment and, you know, and just support them and let the pros do what they do. You know, the stunt guys know more than I do about this, mm. but anything's possible. So just try to protect yourself, protect your crew. Great, mm. great advice. Thank you. Um, so where can people follow this movie and yourselves? Uh, have you, there is a Twitter, isn't there, for Cage Fighter? Yeah. So on Twitter, it's cage. It's at Cage Fighter Movie. On Instagram, same thing at Cage Fighter Movie. Sorry, on Twitter, it's a, it's at Cage Fighter M O V. So uh, Cage Fighter. Uh, yeah, not enough uh, characters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, on Instagram, it's at Cage Fighter Movie, and then the same thing on Facebook at Cage Fighter Movie. And people can follow me at at Jesse Quinones eighty one. Amazing, uh, Shane. Where can people follow you? They just, you know, look, Trilight's more me, more than me. So T-R-I-L-I-G-H-T, at Trilight, or uh, at Trilight E-N-T for Ent on Twitter. <laughs> Trilight on Facebook. Give us a follow. Give us a shout. Anytime anybody wants to reach out, happy to, happy to chat. That's brilliant. <laughs> Boys, this has been fantastic. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. Um, the movie Cage Fighter is out. I suppose you could give it its full title, which would be Cage Fighter Worlds Collide, right? Do you, do you give it that full title or is it just Cage Fighter? Yeah. Yeah. Cage Fighter Worlds Collide is out uh, this Saturday, May the 16th on Fight TV. Where can they go to find that, by the way? So it would be fighttv.com. What's the actual? Fight.tv. Uh, fight, fight. Fight.tv. Right? There you go. Fight.tv. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you can just search Cage Fighter-Worlds-Collide. You'll probably find it with Cage Fighter. Hopefully it's the first thing that comes up. Live stream. What time does it start? Uh, 7 p.m. UK time. Is that right? Seven. Is it seven PM UK time? Seven PM uh, Melbourne for for people out on the Oceanic side, and seven PM Eastern Toronto, New York. That's uh, no, it's not the states. Seven PM in, in North America, South America. And, and there will be a, a post screening Q and A with um, mm. cast and myself and that kind of thing, so people can ask questions to the cast and all that kind of Sounds stuff. Sounds brilliant. I'll be there uh, next Saturday, May the sixteenth, seven PM. And remember, you can follow me at Charles Alders and other podcasts at Filmmakers Pod. And if you do want to come on, uh, then do get in touch. The Filmmakers Podcast at gmail.com. Um, and if you are lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. Till next Tuesday, take care, everyone. Bye, boys. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. Thank you, Joss. And I really appreciate this. It's a, yeah, it was really good fun talking. Yeah, really good yeah. fun. I love it a lot. Um, take care, everyone. <laughs> bye. Bye.